Welcome to the Stolen Reality Podcast. This is where you belong. everybody welcome back it is wednesday which means it's time for another episode where i take you on a deep dive through something strange far out or just plain crazy if you're new to the show my name is luke and i'm your host and i'm going to be taking you on this journey today just like always before we get started i'd just like to say if you're enjoying the show biggest thing i can ask of you is spreading that word going online giving me that five star rating in any platform that you're listening on or giving me a written review if you happen to be on a platform that allows you to do so if you want to get a hold of me for any reason maybe you want to be on the show you got something you want me to talk about or maybe you know somebody who would be a good interview for the show you can always get a hold of me at luke at stolenreality.com or go underneath stolenreality.com's contact page and you can reach out to me directly from there so with all that being said let's get into today's episode it was february 24th 1983 in strasburg pennsylvania the funeral of James Kishpaw was being held after he had died of cirrhosis of the liver. Of course, everybody at the funeral was sad and mourning his death. Everybody except for one person, his grandson, Donnie Decker. Donnie had a very rough relationship with his grandfather, claiming that he had physically abused him since he was seven years old and that none of the other family members knew anything about it. Donnie was 21 at the time of his grandfather's death, and he was four months into a 12-month sentence at the county jail when he was released for the weekend to be able to go to his grandfather's funeral. That in itself, in my mind, is pretty paranormal, because I've never heard of somebody being let out of jail for the weekend to go visit family. But I guess they're a little more lenient in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. Donnie obviously had very mixed feelings about the funeral, and I'll let you hear it in his own words. No other part of the family knew anything about, you know, what happened. And uh, it was like, uh, you know, like good fighting evil, I, I, basically I put it, you know. Um, the evil was gone, and uh, I was hoping, you know, that everything would change. So it was obviously kind of a bittersweet situation for Donnie. And after the funeral, by some accounts, he didn't want to go spend the weekend with his parents because they were holding his grandfather in such high regards. And on other accounts, his parents didn't want him to stay with them because of the legal trouble he was in. But either way, he decided to go stay with a couple of his friends, Bob and Jeannie Kiefer, who he just met a couple months earlier. So this is when things kind of started to get strange. So Donnie had said that he was hoping that everything would change, and everything was about to change, but probably not in the way that he expected. So while he was over at Bobby and Jean's house, they were all sitting in the living room, and Donnie got this strange feeling all over him. He got this chill, and the room went cold, and he started to fall into this trance-like state where he just kind of zoned out. And as he did this, water started pouring down the walls of the house. So obviously, Bob and Jeannie didn't know what the hell was going on. All this water starts coming down from the walls and starts dripping from their ceilings, and they assumed that they got some big leak going on. So they decided to call their landlord, Ron Van Weiss, and have him come down and check it out. Ron's a pretty fun guy to listen to as well, just because I like the way he talks, so I'm going to let you listen to his account of the phone call. Phone rang, and I got a call from my tenant, Bob. And he said, uh, you have to come down, we have a problem. And I said, well, what's the problem? He says, well, he says, I can't tell you. He says, just come down. He says, but he says, you have to come down right away. 
So Ron went over to the house, and when he walked in, he also started getting pelted with water, falling from the ceiling, from the walls, from all different directions. We decided that maybe, you know, some plumbing, but there were no pipes in the front end of the house to leak. There was basically nothing there that the water could have come from. It could be some condensation or ice melt or something like that. After watching it for a while, I discovered that it wasn't only coming from the ceiling down. It could come from the wall over or from the floor up. There was no, you know, no basic direction that it was coming from. You know, it could come from anywhere. So Ron was obviously pretty freaked out about what he was seeing. You know, he said that the water was coming from the walls, going in different directions, going from the floor up. It just wasn't making any sense. So he called his wife Lorraine to tell her about it, and he also called police officer Bojan to come down and check it out. Now you know that you got a really bad water problem when you're calling the cops about it to come check it out because you're so freaked out. Well, when Officer Bojan got there, he was just as freaked out as everybody else because nobody had seen anything like this before. Water coming from all different directions and just starting in the middle of the room. So he called his partner over, Richard Wolbert, to see if he could make anything out of it. So at this point, we have our main character, Donnie Decker, the two people that he's staying with, the landlord, and two police officers who have witnessed this and all attest to the fact that this was actually happening. And we have the landlord's wife who heard about it over the phone. So when patrolman Richard Wolbert gets there to help out his partner, he's just as confused and has no idea what's going on. This is him telling the story of what happened. At this point, he was telling me, I just want you to walk into the house. And I said, well, I'm not walking into the house unless you explain to me what I'm walking into. He says, trust me, trust me, just walk into the house. I walked in the door and he came right in behind me and I couldn't have got two steps inside the front door and I was absolutely pelted. We were standing just inside the front door and then there's a droplet of water traveling horizontally and it just passed right between us and just traveled out into the next room. So he's saying that not only is there water going up and down and across the room, but he's seeing actual water droplets form in midair and fly across the room. What's really interesting is that this was only happening in the room that Donnie Decker was in. This was only happening in the living room. They walked into other parts of the house and they were completely dry. So at this point, the police officers decide that there's nothing they can really do in this situation because they have no idea what the hell is going on. So Donnie Decker and then the two people who own the house decided to go get something to eat at the restaurant across the street from their house. The landlord, Ron Van Weiss, and his wife, who had showed up to the scene, decided to stay behind. They left and everything else left too. The rain stopped, the house was normal. We were kind of thinking that maybe it was coming from them and uh, we weren't sure at that time which one, but uh, we, we kind of figured, you know, because when they left, it left, you know, so we, we were sure it was, had something to do with one of them. So Donnie went over with Bob and Jean to the restaurant next door where Pam, the owner of the restaurant, or at least the, the worker of the restaurant, was good friends with them. And she had actually come over earlier in the day and seen what was going on, so she had seen it firsthand. While they were over there, Donnie was still in his trance-like state. While they were at the restaurant and sat down with her friend Pam, who worked over there, it started happening again. This time it was happening in the restaurant, that there was water falling from the ceiling and coming out of nowhere. Well, Pam, being a very religious person, assumed that he was possessed by a demon, and she took action to try to test that theory out. 
You look, you know, Donnie, and he was like in a trance. You know, he, he would look at you, but not knowing that you were there. I said to Gene, I said, you know, he's got to be possessed. We sit in there. This is what a couple seconds later, there's water all over the pizzeria, too. I've never seen anything like that happen in my life. So I went in the cash register. I had a crucifix there. I took it out, put it on him. And the minute, you know, I put it on him, touched the skin, and he got burned. Of course, burned him, and it turned black. There's no way that anybody could have played, a, you know, a joke like that. This was real. Donnie was doing it himself. And he was doing it without realizing it that he was doing it. So not only did the rain stop when Donnie left the house, but it started up again when he got into the restaurant. And then you have this religious waitress named Pam who tested things out thinking that he might be possessed by touching him with a cross and claims that it burned him and that the cross turned black. So at this point, they're all thinking that, okay, Donnie's got something to do with this and there's probably uh, something demonic going on. So they left the restaurant and... Of course, as soon as they left, the rain stopped again. So nobody understood what was happening, but even Donnie himself started believing that it was him who was the, the source of all of this. It made me more sure that I was, had something to do with it because it was following me. And it didn't start raining in the house until I got there. They were living there. Nothing ever happened. And that's when I started realizing that, that it was me. So everybody went back over to the house. You know, everybody's scared, and they're starting to kind of get pissed off at Donnie, saying that you're causing this, like you're making this happen. You need to make it stop. And then something even crazier happened. The pots and pans that were over the stove, they started rattling. That's when I got levitated off the floor. It was just like floating. Donnie! Then it was like a push, but um, it wasn't like somebody taking your hand and pushing you. It was like feeling it all over your body at one and I'm a big guy, you know. You know, I always have been assertive, and that made, made me felt like a newborn, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm scared right now just talking about it, really. So now it's sounding a little more like your quintessential possession, right? <laughs> he was picked up off of the floor and shoved across the room. Now, I know that this all sounds crazy, but we got to think up to this point, we have, what, seven witnesses? that all corroborate this story, including police officers that are all willing to go on record and talk about this. Ron Van Wy's wife was in the kitchen when it happened. I believe that there was a, a, I don't know if you'd call it an evil spirit, but whatever, a demon, you know, possessed his body and uh, caused this, I, I, you know. So after this, the police show back up, and this time they brought their police chief with them. The police chief is the only person in this whole story who refuses to claim that anything happened. When he walked in through the door, the rain was still going crazy in the middle of the living room because it had started up again. He saw it all, he got pelted by it, and he refused to, to say that anything out of the ordinary was going on. He said that it was a leak and he was pissed off at his people for bringing him down there for a leak in the middle of the night. According to the officers that were on the scene with him that brought their police chief down, they think that he was just kind of embarrassed, that he didn't have an explanation for what was going on, and it kind of threw him off, and instead of admitting that he didn't know what was going on, he instead chose to ignore the whole thing. And he even told them afterwards not to write a report about it, and not only to not write a report about it, but to never talk about it again. So it seems like he was a little rattled and didn't know how to react to it, 
which in a situation like this, especially for somebody who's a, a hard skeptic for anything outside of the normal, it's very hard to rationalize in your mind. And it's very easy for you to either displace it or react in a strange way, like getting angry at the people who brought you there and then telling them to never speak about it again. When the chief got to the house, he was pelted with weather just as Rich and I was. I got the impression that he was put on the spot, maybe a little bit embarrassed, like we expected something out of him that he could answer. There was no way to explain what happened, and I think he was put in a position where he might have felt a little uncomfortable. I think he just wanted out. He could not uh, give us an explanation for it. He couldn't help us. He couldn't provide us with anything more than what we had, you know, we had experienced and what we had come up with. Well, he just flat out denied it. It didn't happen, and he tried to convince me that nothing happened, and he wasn't going to do that. I saw it, and that's all there is to it. So the officers were told to drop it and let it go, and the police chief obviously didn't want anything to do with it. But they obviously didn't want to do that. So the next day they came back and they brought some more officers with them to try to figure out what was going on. One of those officers was Bill Davies. And he did a little bit of an experiment, kind of like the lady Pam did in the restaurant, where he had Donnie put his hands behind his back so he didn't know what was going on. And then he placed a cross in his hands without Donnie knowing it. We're standing there and I gave Mr. Decker this gold cross to hold. The next thing is it's burning my hands and there's no explanation for it. When you picked it up, when you grabbed it, not hot, hot, but it's hot. And that's when I, and I held onto it. All of a sudden, he lifted up off the ground and he flew across the room with the force of though a bus had hit him. We looked and uh, there was three claw marks on the side of his neck which drew blood. I have no answer for it whatsoever. And... <clears throat> I just draw a blank, even to today. I've been a cop 40 years, and I never ran anything like this here, never. I mean, there's always an explanation when something happens. If you got to investigate, you come up with something, this is why it happened. This case here, there is no explanation. So now we have two different police lieutenants who actually went in, tried out the cross thing, put it in this guy's hands, saw him get burned by the cross and then physically picked it up saying that it was hot and burned their hands and then watched him get levitated shoved across the room and knocked out and then when they went over he had scratch marks on the side of his neck that was drawing blood now these guys are pretty credible witnesses i mean they're police lieutenants they're not fucking around and making things up for no reason they're risking their careers by sounding crazy by talking about this stuff so up to this point, I think we have nine separate witnesses who saw either the rain happened spontaneously in a room around Donnie Decker or actually witnessed him being levitated and thrown across rooms. So now this group of friends is, you know, fully believing that Donnie Decker is possessed by some sort of demon. And so they start to call around all the ministers and pastors around town and nobody will take their case seriously. Nobody's going to listen to them or they just don't want to deal with it. But nobody seemed to be able to give them the time of day until they found one particular female minister who decided to come and try an exorcism on Donnie. As she started to pray, Donnie went into uh, like a, a convulsion. You know, he, he started to shake. Uh, he pulled himself up into like a ball. And uh, the longer she prayed, he started to relax then. His whole body seemed to 
quiet completely down. And as you're standing there watching this, you could feel the house itself seemed to take on a total different feeling. By the time she got done praying, uh, the water was gone. And that was the last that we saw of any water at the house at all. So it seemed like this worked. It seemed like the problems were over and that Donnie Decker had some sort of demonic possession that was then gotten rid of by this female pastor who came in and prayed over him. But our story doesn't end here. Oh no. So now Donnie had to go back to jail, right? Because he was released on that furlough to be able to go over and attend his grandfather's funeral. But of course, they weren't just going to let him go forever. So they ended up taking him back to jail. And that's where things picked up again. So while he's in jail, he actually had the same occurrence happen in his jail cell, where his jail cell started filling up with water and things flying all over the place. But where it got a little bit different this time is that Donnie started to feel powerful. He started to feel like he was doing this. And instead of having the fear and not knowing what was going on and, and being afraid of what was happening, he started to kind of lean into it a little bit and be like, okay, I can do this. I can control water. Look how powerful I am. And I think that's where we really get into the side of, of uh, maybe a demon taking hold of him, if we want to call it that. You know, I've talked before about in my episodes uh, quite a few times, actually, this thing that I've been struggling with a little bit when we get into psychic abilities and powers and healing and things like that. What makes something demonic versus what makes something divine? And I think that when we get down the road of demonic and demonic possession and something um, maybe not good <laughs> happening is usually when somebody says, I am powerful, and they take it upon themselves and they start to feel that power and use that power for any sort of selfish gain. And although it seems there may have been some outside force that was enacting this through Donnie, and we'll talk about all the ideas of this at the end here, he is now starting to believe that he is responsible for it and that he can do big things with it. They put me in a maximum security cell, and I was in there with a, another hey, inmate, and uh, I was thinking, you know, Smith, you I wish it make it rain in here. And all of a sudden, water just started coming out of a concrete floor, and uh, at that point, um, I thought I could do stuff. So he's starting to feel the power. So he's in there and he purposely makes this rain happen inside of this, this jail cell coming up through a concrete floor. And of course, the guards are freaked out and pissed off at him. They think maybe he's taking toilet water and throwing it all over the place or, or flooding the sink or something. But they pull him out and they start questioning him and yelling at him. And he essentially tells them, I can control water. I can do whatever I want. And so one of the guards that he's talking to says, oh, yeah, smartass? He goes, go ahead and prove it. Make it rain in the warden's office. So warden Dave Keenhold was sitting in his office alone, down the hall, completely other side of this Monroe County jail, and this is what he says about what happened. I was sitting at the desk, and I was writing a report. I was all by myself in administration area. Nobody else was around. It was approximately 8 o'clock in the evening, at the time, I didn't feel anything. My shirt was drooping down. I didn't know what was going on, and the officer told me to look at my shirt. And right here on about the center of my sternum, about four inches long, two inches wide, I was just saturated with water. I was startled. 
I was scared. So was the officer. The officer was very frightened at that particular time. And I just didn't have an explanation of why it happened. So it sounds like Donnie Decker, when he was challenged by this officer to make it rain in the warden's office, kind of took it to heart. And he didn't make it rain, but somehow made the warden's shirt get completely covered with water on one particular point. So now, of course, the officer and this warden are both freaking the hell out, and they jump right to, okay, well, he must be demonically possessed. So even these police officers are now looking to to find some sort of pastor to come in and fix this situation. So they must have been good old boy religious people down in the south. But they reached out to a reverend to come in and take care of the situation. All of a sudden, I I received this uh, frantic call from a sergeant in the jail. His name is Keenhold. And he said, uh, can you come over? We need you. We need your help. So they brought this very meek, mild, mannered young man into the room. And he was asking my help. So this reverend sits down with Donnie and starts questioning him about what's going on. And Donnie's telling him, I can do things. I can make it rain. I can control water. I have this power. And the reverend's not really taking him serious. And he's like, listen, don't you think it'd be a lot better if you just kind of quit all this bullshit and and, uh, told the truth about what's happening? All of a sudden, like that, demeanor changed. And the smell came into the room. Uh, nurses and doctors, medical people will tell you that when you walk into a room where someone is dying with a cancer or something, usually there's a smell. You can tell when you walk in a room. And I smelled a smell like that multiplied five times at least. Evil, foreboding. Um, and at that point, he raised his hand and he rubbed his fingers together. And all of a sudden, it started to rain. It was like the devil's rain. It was a mist. I was in the presence of evil, and I opened up the Bible and started to read to him, but the pages never got wet. So help me, it was a frightening thing. I think I was praying more for me than it was for him. I prayed, and and it was only a brief period, and the rain stopped. He subsided, and you could feel a peace. He said, thank you. He got tears in his eyes, and we hugged, and we prayed together. He was possessed. There's no doubt in my mind. There is no way that a human being could do what he did in that room. There's no way that he did anything but what he did was spiritual. And it wasn't of God. Guaranteed it was not of God. So as far as I know, this is the first time that an exorcism has been performed and successfully performed inside of a jail with a sergeant and a officer in the jail witnessing it and everybody saying that this thing happened and after this everything kind of cleared up well it's over and it hasn't happened again so um basically i'm just hoping that it never will and uh i just you know go day by day and uh as for my grandfather um i think what had happened was his doing because he abused me when i was young He got a chance to abuse me again. So that is the story of Donnie Decker, the boy who made it rain indoors. Now, I stole a lot of those sound clips, obviously. I didn't uh, interview all those people. I stole those sound clips from the Unsolved Mysteries Season 5, Episode 18. 
So I, I don't know the legality around using clips, so I hope that this episode doesn't get taken down someday. But I'm pretty sure as of now, since I'm not monetizing anything and I do all this for free, it's all open source anyway. So maybe someday if I monetize this show, I'll have to come back and take this episode down or redo it, unfortunately. But I essentially, I didn't want you guys to just hear me rattle off about all these different situations when you can hear it straight from the mouths of the people who were actually there who claimed to have seen this happen. So now let's talk about what could possibly be going on here. So the way I see it, we got a few different options. Number one, always, like like usual, is that this is all bullshit, that it's a hoax. That this was some elaborate scheme that everybody put on, and they did it so that they could get famous and sell books and uh, get in the, the media and get in the news about everything. And we could go down that road. Some people do believe that that is what's going on, and I'll tell you why in a second here. But the reason why I don't necessarily think that's what's going on is just the vast amount of credible witnesses. I mean, we have police lieutenants, we have uh, jail officials, we have the landlord, we have the neighbor uh, over at the restaurant who saw this happen in a restaurant, we have the reverend, we have all these people that are very credible people in their community coming out and saying that they witnessed this and they all saw the same thing and were part of the same event. And for them to come together to do this for some sort of hoax would be not only just kind of ridiculous, but you're putting your your career in jeopardization by doing this, especially if you're an official or you're a, a um, you know a jailhouse attendant or something like that. You start talking crazy stories like this, and you start losing credibility real fast. And so, a lot of times in situations like this, people don't want to speak out about it. They don't want to talk about it. And the only time that they would want to is if they're going to somehow monetize it. You know, sometimes we'll see people write books about their experiences and then do tours and make a bunch of money and stuff like that and if it was just Donnie Deckard saying this we could say maybe that's what he's doing maybe he just wants a bunch of attention so he's getting out there but how would he rope in all of these other people how would he rope in the jailhouse attendant to corroborate his story and the landlord of a friend he'd only known for a couple months why would everybody get on board with this story if it was just a bunch of bullshit just to help him get some notoriety now, one of the biggest arguments for this being hoax and this being um, something that was just made up is the fact that there is no video evidence to this or picture evidence whatsoever. This happened over a couple day period. This happened, you know, it didn't just happen in, in 20 minutes. So there was plenty of time for somebody to run out and grab a camera and record this. And this was in 19, what did I say, 1992, I believe. So, you know, camcorders were around. Not everybody had a phone in their pocket like they do now, but there was ability for people to be able to record this and nobody seemed to have thought to have done that now on the other side of that you know if something crazy like this was going on people are getting levitated and thrown across a room in front of you and the house is raining nowadays our modern mind goes get your phone out and record it but back in the early 90s when like i said you didn't just have a camcorder in your pocket all the time that's not really where your mind necessarily goes your mind goes to what the hell is going on i want to get out of here or we need to figure this out i mean these guys called the cops they were so scared 
So obviously they might not have been thinking about just uh, recording and documenting this whole thing. Now I do think it is a little fishy that nobody throughout this whole situation ever thought to document it and that there's no video footage from the jail. Because I don't know what jails looked like in Monroe County back in 1992, but I know jails nowadays are everything's recorded. There's camcorders everywhere. Um, or not camcorders, that's a <laughs> that's an old term, but there's uh, recording devices and, and video surveillance all over the jail. So it is kind of fishy that nobody seemed to have got any of this on camera. But that is pretty much the only thing that I find fishy enough to make this seem like a hoax. Because again, why would all these people come together and create this elaborate hoax when they're not getting anything out of it? Like they all got one little plug on this... Uh, show with Robert Stack and you know we've been talking about it for a while but it's not like they're out selling books and getting rich off of this. So our second option is again that this is a hoax but it wasn't that anybody was in on it. It was that Donnie Decker is somehow shysty and sneaky enough to have been able to trick all these people into seeing what they wanted him to see and making a hoax out of this and he was the focal point and he's the one who did all of it. That would be pretty damn tough to do. He was levitated and thrown across the room and ended up with claw marks across his neck that appeared out of nowhere that police officers witnessed. He also, you know, these, these witnesses were saying that this water was running down walls, running up from the floor, flying vertically across a room. Like, how do you fake vertical water going across a room unless you got a buddy with one of those, like, super soaker squirt guns sitting in the corner shooting water across the room? I don't see any possible way for that to be faked. It was also the case that it only happened in the room that he was in. And when they walked into, like, the kitchen out of the living room, it would be completely dry. And then when he'd go over to the restaurant, it happened again. And then the same thing in the jail. So there's all these different circumstances where if he was faking this how would he be able to use whatever device or whatever mechanism he was using to fake it and take that with him into all these different situations especially into a jail cell now originally the uh, jail attendant thought that he was splashing water all over the place because he claims in the jail that it rose up from the floor. So it doesn't sound like it was like flying all over the place. It's just that the floor was very wet. So in that circumstance, you could say, well, maybe he just took water and just poured it all over the floor. And maybe that's the case. Like I can't claim 1000% what's going on here one way or another. But then we have to take into account the warden being in the room and not even noticing that his shirt was completely soaked, but only in one specific spot until that other jail officer came in to talk to him about Donnie Decker and noticed his shirt and said, like, what's going on? So even if he was splashing water out of his toilet or something onto the floor, I don't know how he would have faked that part. One of the biggest uh, claims that people make when they say that people are doing things as a hoax, especially in smaller towns like this, is that they're doing it to bring attention to their town and bring tourism. And that has happened before, like with, uh, I think it was the Hodag, where somebody created a cryptid and brought it around and people came from all over the place and looked at this funky little creature that they had made out of a log and moving bear skin. And I'll, I'll do an episode about that sometime. But the whole town kind of was in on this gag to bring tourism and to bring people to their town. But that's something where they were monetizing it and getting tourists to come and look at something. A situation like this, if anything, it's going to keep people away back in the 90s. You know, nowadays we kind of have this... Uh, 
this paranormal tourism where people want to go check out haunted locations and stuff like that. And it's kind of become a big thing. Um, you know, there's a reason why people listen to podcasts like this because we're all interested in these things. But back in the early 90s, I don't think that was so much the case. People weren't like hearing about some guy making it rain in Monroe and then everybody takes their family there for a family vacation. So it's not like the town was in on this to try to try to garner tourism in some way. So then what's our second option? Our second option, or I guess our third, if we're counting those other two uh, hoaxes, two different options, but our next option is that this could all be coincidental. That he went over to his friend's house and a leak happened in the house while he was over there, while he was kind of zoned out. And then they went over to the pizzeria and a leak happened while he was there. And then he went back to the house and another leak happened and he went to the jail and there was water on the floor and all these things got tied into this big story. Um, that's pretty tough one. That's a lot of coincidence. Like at, at some point, how much coincidence means there's no more coincidence. And that doesn't really take into account the, him getting levitated and thrown across the room. Now that would be pretty tough to fake. Not saying you couldn't fake it. Like if you jumped up and jumped back, it might kind of look like you were picked up and thrown, but that's not the way that these officers described it. It's not that he was pushed back from a standing position. He was picked up off the ground first and then thrown backwards. And so I, uh, if this was all coincidence, I don't know how that would play into this. And then we have our next options, and that's where we get into the paranormal side of things. And all these options are very similar, but they're not the same thing. And these are the different options of possession. So let's start with what Donnie Decker himself believes. He believes that his grandfather actually possessed him. He went to the funeral, he saw his grandfather who had been abusing him his whole life, and he was bitter about it, so his grandpa got one last laugh and possessed him and kind of took control and was causing this to happen. I can't claim exactly to know, you know, exactly how demonic possession and things like that work, because... Nobody can claim 100% to, to know the truth behind all that, but I don't believe that that's necessarily how it works. I don't know if a human can, after they leave their body through death, be able to physically go in and possess another person. I don't know if they can. I mean, they might be able to. It's actually an idea I've played around with for a long time. So I'll tell you, this story might make me sound a little crazy, but I, I've played around a lot with out-of-body experiences and astral projection and stuff. I've been doing it for a very, very long time. But for a while when I was younger, when I was in my early 20s, one of my thoughts, one of my goals was if I can leave my body mentally into this physical plane, can I then take my you know mental faculties and be able to get into something else? Would I be able to leave my body and then get into a cat and control a cat or something like that? The um, you know, this this idea happens in that Game of Thrones show. I think the kid who's uh, paralyzed, he's able to kind of roll his eyes back and then possess different animals. Well, I've had that idea for a long time. Is that something that humans can do? And would that explain things like skinwalkers and all these old um lore of these people turning into werewolves and stuff maybe it wasn't that their bodies physically turned into it maybe they were able to take their consciousness and inhabit another being and then act out as that thing so i've always had that idea for a while and i've i've tried a few things that i'm not going to talk about right now um but i've always thought that that was an interesting idea and if is if that is something that we 
can do and that we have the ability to do, then maybe after you die and after your consciousness leaves your body when it goes on to someplace else, maybe you would have the ability to go and hop into somebody and then take control of them like you were a demonic entity. In fact, that would kind of make you a demonic entity in my mind. But I guess that is a possibility that his grandpa was actually the one doing this. That's not really what I think happened, but I can't count it out. What I think is more likely, and this is our next option, is that demonic entities feed on very stressful and emotionally broken situations. So this kid went to see his grandfather, who had been doing horrible things to him his whole life, and it was a very, very hard, stressful time for him. And I think that that kind of almost opens up a doorway for things to be able to inhabit you. I think that that kind of allows a, a emptiness inside of us that, that something can fill, you know, and that's kind of the whole point of, of um, like in the Bible, it talking about always being filled with the Holy Spirit so that you're not empty. Don't ever empty yourself. Well, it seems like in a lot of, if not all, demonic possession cases, it's always during or right after a tragedy. It's always when people are having very hard and stressful times, and it's like these entities kind of feed on that, and if they are able to feed on it to a certain extent, they can actually kind of take control of the situation. And I would assume if this is a real, like actual demonic possession, I would assume that that is more likely than his grandpa being the one to come and fuck with him one last time. I would think that maybe his grandpa was a horrible person, and maybe because of that, maybe he had things lingering around him. Or maybe they came up to take him down into hell. I don't know how it all works when you die, (laughs) but maybe those things were in the area at the time. And as Donnie went up to see his grandfather in the casket and just had this hate and this rage in him, Maybe this uh, entity saw that and was like, yep, there's my target. I'm going to use that kid. I think that that is a more likely scenario. Um, You know, if you if you believe in these things and you go down that road, then I think that that's more of a likely scenario than his grandfather actually possessing his grandson. Our last option along these lines is that it was Donnie himself doing this. There is no outside influence, no outside possession. It was him doing it, but he was doing it subconsciously, and he didn't understand that he was doing it. And that kind of plays along those same lines. And this is a very big question in the kind of demonology and possession field that I'll talk about in just a second. But does it come from us, or does it come from something outside? There's a lot of cases where especially young people, usually young girls, get possessed and there's documented things happening like things flying around the room or levitation or demonic voices coming from them that there's no possible way they could have made. And the psychology side of things says that they're essentially accessing inert abilities inside of themselves and their mind is so powerful that it's acting out these things and they are the ones doing it. I go back and forth with that a lot and I think that these lines are very muddled. Um, I talked to Twitchy Witch about, you know, are demons real and stuff like that. And she's very secular and she was saying, well, it's all one and the same thing. And I, I kind of I like that idea. Now, I tend to believe that there are entities that are outside of us that uh, do play a part in our lives in one way or another, positively and negatively, but I think that we also kind of access them and kind of 
give them um, something to feed on, whether that's positive or negative. But there's an idea that it is just all completely in us and that these ideas of demons and angels are just archetypes of our own mental capacities and that we all have demonic quote-unquote demonic in us and angelic in us and by accessing different parts of our brain and these different capabilities we're kind of reaching those different states of consciousness but really it's all us and our minds are the the powerful things that are doing this we see this a lot with like people with uh, multiple personality disorder, like the very famous one, the lady who had like seven different personalities. When you talk to a psychologist, it's like these are different parts of her um, own mind that has fractured into these different people. If you talk to a religious person, you say she's inhabited by seven different demons. And I guess the big question is really, does it even matter? I mean, because when it comes down to the situation, it doesn't matter. It's happening and it's happening to us, um, you know, whether it's coming from something outside or something just strictly from our mind, the situation is still very real. I remember, this is another thing I'll talk about in, in, uh, great excess at some point, but there was a, a rash of shadow people sightings, I think in the 80s in New York or something like that, but people were seeing the shadow people, and if you don't know what the shadow people are, that's okay, we'll talk about it another time. It's essentially these uh, beings that people see during sleep paralysis, and I've seen them, and I know a lot of people have seen them, but there was a rash of these happening in the 80s in New York, and some people actually ended up dying from these. Well, it was investigated by the CDC, and it was also investigated by this reporter. And what the reporter came down to on his conclusion was that there is these demonic dark entities that are causing this to happen. The CDC, on the other hand, didn't say that this didn't happen. They just came in and said it was a mass hysteria and people were doing this with their own mind. But if it's getting to the point that these people are seeing these things and believing they're seeing these things, even to the extent that some people are dying from the situation. Does it matter if it's coming from outside of us or inside of us? It's still real enough to kill you. So when we look at situations like this, it's like, was he possessed by a demon or was he so stressed out that he broke into a part of his mind that allowed him to do these amazing and scary abilities and he's essentially doing it to himself. Um, that's that's kind of what they come down to on the psychology side of things with a lot of possessions is that these people usually have a lot of guilt or a lot of anger or something, and they're acting it out on their self. Their mind is kind of punishing them, which would explain things like the scratches across his neck. Maybe while he was flying through the air, his hand quickly reached up and scratched his own neck and nobody saw it. But again, in either instance, this is still real and it's still happening. Now, I shy away from the idea that it all comes from our mind. Again, I think that that's dangerous because that says that our minds are so powerful and we are God, essentially. We are these big, powerful things and all these idea of gods and angels and everything is all just our mind's capability and we are the powerful ones creating these things and we're just rationalizing it through these different uh, external entities entities that we have made up. I don't like that. I think that that is, I mean, it may be the case. I just don't like the idea of that because I think it gives us too much power as humans. And I think that's a very scary proposition. I think whether it is one way or the other, I think it's more important for us to think about 
these things as outside of ourselves because not only does it alleviate some of the responsibility, but it also kind of keeps us humble and doesn't allow us to think that we are the gods of the universe. And I think that that's a very important thing to do. On the other hand, though, situations like this do show if this is just coming from our minds, it shows the incredible, incredible power that our minds do have. Right. Like I talked to I did an episode about faith healing that they now call non-local healing and that we can actually do that. Um, and I, I talked about the same situation and that does it come from us or does it come from something higher? And it doesn't really matter because it's still happening. But I think it's important how we think about it. Well, this situation shows that we can go beyond that. I mean, this shows things like conjuring of water and levitation. I mean, if you think about it we're made of 70% water. And I talked about the book, uh, The Secret Life of Water by, I can't remember his name, so I'm not going to butcher it. But anyway, I talked about that in my faith healing episode about how our minds and our mental state actually affects the molecules of water. Well, there's water in the air all around us. Like it's never 100% dry. Maybe if you're in the middle of this hair desert, but I don't even think there it's 100% dry. So if we can control water and we're made of water, Maybe our minds do have the capability to do hydromancy and be able to like ball all the water in the room together and make it rain. And that we just have not unlocked these abilities because we don't have the um, practice and the training and the belief and we haven't, haven't spent time doing this. But maybe in this situation, he broke into something so deep in himself and believed that he was possessed. And so it allowed him to do this and to conjure this water. And if that's the case, it's a really cool um, idea, you know, that our minds are that powerful. But again, I think that's where it is very important for us to think of it in a different way. I think it's important for us to say that by the grace of God, I can perform miracles, or by demonic possession, miracles happen. Because by doing that, it makes us do it in a positive way and say, I'm going to do positive things by the grace of God, right? Because if I'm doing it all out of my own mind, and I'm saying that I can do all these powerful things, and I am this powerful, then what's to stop me from doing whatever the hell I want and using it in nefarious ways that only benefit me. So I think that that's, that's, uh, can be a scary proposition to give man that much power. All right, and that's about all I got for this one. This is one of the most interesting cases of demonic possession that I've ever heard because there's so many credible witnesses in it. I think there was like, I think that there was 10 people altogether by the end of it who are very adamant that this happened and they're very respectable people. And it's a very unique case. You know, we hear about the levitation sometimes and demonic possessions, and we hear about the different voices and, you know, things flying across the room. But this is a really unique one where it was water being conjured out of nowhere and um, storms happening. You know, I'm still listening. I'm still listening to that very, very long, drawn-out um, history of occultism and everything I've been telling you about from William Cooper. In one of the episodes I just listened to, he was talking about the South American tribes and the Aztecs. And he was saying, you know, the reason why he was talking about it is because that he found that their uh, traditions and all of their ceremonies in their churches, well, they wouldn't call them churches, but all their religious ceremonies and stuff 
were the exact same ceremonies that you saw from all these other mystery religions from around the world that they supposedly had no contact with. So he was plotting it all together, and it's, it's very interesting. But one of the things he talks about is there's writings from all of these uh, Europeans that went down and visited them and these different people who went and documented this stuff. And one of the things that they claimed they could do, they would say that they would go into these trance states and be able to essentially perform miracles, all sorts of this stuff. And, you know, he's he's saying that it's demonic because he's uh, puts everything in that light. But one of the things that they're able to do is supposedly they're sitting around in this hut and they're able to gather a storm inside of the hut and make it rain and thunder inside of the hut while it's completely beautiful and sunny outside, which is exactly what's happening in this case, essentially. It's just that in South America, they were supposedly doing it through trance and meditation and through calling on their gods, where this guy just kind of had it happen to him, happen chance. So that's kind of the only other time that I've heard of something like this being documented. And I'll have to re-listen to that episode and find out exactly who documented that and who wrote about that. Because I can't remember who it was. But it was a long time ago and they were going down and they were studying these ancient cultures. Alright guys, so like I said, I stole pretty much all of those audio clips from that um, Unexplained Mysteries episode. And I will have a link to that on my website at stolenreality.com underneath the episode notes and I will also have links to a bunch of articles about this stuff where you can you can learn more about this subject and and about the story of Donnie Decker. I would love to know what you guys think about this one. This one's super interesting to me. Maybe there's some things that you've heard about it that I couldn't find. Maybe you got some more information or hell maybe you were even there. Maybe you know Donnie. Maybe I'll try to track him down and send him an email and see if he'll want to be on the show. But I would love to know your guys' opinions, so reach out to me at luke at stolenreality.com or go on to the contact page on my website at stolenreality.com. Or, of course, if you're on the Spotify app, I'll have a little Q&A where you can give an answer about your opinions on this episode and the show in general and tell me what you guys think is going on here. Do you think it's all bullshit? Do you think you made all this up? Or do you think that this is an actual documented case of demonic possession? All right, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something new. I enjoy doing it. I always enjoy doing these. That's why I do this show. I hope you're having a safe and exciting week. If not, get out there and make it exciting. Go exploring. Do something fun. Go hunt down a demon. I don't know. Tell me your adventures. But I hope you guys are having a great week, and I will be back on Friday for another bit of soap. Thanks for listening, everybody.